reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 16. Introduction to Sermon on the Mount. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. The Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty? It is, sorry, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. I just need to go and get my lectern. So I'm quite interested to know who stayed up the longest on election night. So perhaps you can just uh, compare notes and then let me know when I reappear. Okay, so let's have a quick show of hands. A bit like Christmas Day, this, with adults instead of children. Wait, who was up till one? Oh, many. Up till two? Up till three? Up to four? Oh, some other people are up from four, okay. Up to five? Up to half five? Six? Okay, Roger wins. Um, and <laughs> you got up at 4.40. Now, I went to bed at half past five, which was when my, well, my wife came down for breakfast. So there we go. An exciting night. Not one that I was expecting, I must admit, um, but I used to be an opinion pollster, so obviously I get everything wrong. <laughs> but I, I may be a, a, a bad opinion pollster, but what I am certainly is someone who's interested in politics. And I know that loads of people in this church are, we have many different views among us, obviously. But what a two years it's been if you're interested in politics, especially in the US 
and in the UK. So on the US side, it started with the Republicans v. Trump, then it was Clinton v. Trump, then in the two months before inauguration, it was Obama v. Trump, for a brief moment it was Putin v. Trump, now it's the FBI v. Trump, and we've had Macron v. Trump, the Pope v. Trump, Sadiq Khan v. Trump, and the G7 v. Trump. So it's certainly been an interesting couple of years. What about on this side of the pond? Well, we've had a general election, a Labour leadership election, the EU referendum, the Conservative leadership election, another Labour leadership election, another general election, possibly another Conservative leadership election in the next few weeks, and then no doubt another general election. With politics like this, who needs soap operas? But there are some questions I want to reflect on this morning. In our wider society, including our politics, what is our role as Christians? And in our local community today, what is our role as Christians? How can our potential in God's eyes, in our world, be realized? That's what I want us to think about today. What could we potentially be as Christians in our community and in our world. And to help us explore that, we've turned to one of the most famous passages in the Bible, the Beatitudes, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the first part of it. And uh, in Matthew's Gospel, at least, it's, it's the King's inaugural address. So we're turning to that to see what that can say to us about our role as Christians in society. And we're going to finish by revisiting the vision statement that I introduced last week, and see how can we unpack that in the light of what we're thinking about today and see what we could be as a church, our potential under God. So that's where we're going. Then after that, we'll have a chance to actually move around the room and look at some of the specific possibilities uh, that we could take forward under this overall vision. But that's to come. Let's now pray that God would speak to us as we look at his word. Let's pray. Father, on an interesting week, in difficult and interesting times, thank you that we can turn to you in prayer, but also through your, to your word that speaks such wisdom, that sharpens our perspective, that speaks into who we can potentially be and the impact on our world we can have. So Lord, would you encourage us Excite us, direct us, empower us to be your ambassadors in Camberley and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, let's turn to the passage, and in particular, the final few verses that we looked at entitled Salt and Light. So we've got three dominant metaphors there, and uh, we'll turn to the, the first of them now, which is that we need to be salty. What does that tell us? Well, I think it tells us first that Christ's purpose for us includes our impact on our wider society. Because he doesn't call us the salt of the church, does he? We're the salt of the earth. He doesn't call us to a life of Christian isolationism, where we just move within a Christian bubble and have very little to do with anything else going on. On the contrary, our very purpose is to be out in our communities making a difference. So what does it mean to be salty? Well, salt was used for two main purposes in those days, to bring flavour, as of course it still is today, and second as a preservative, to keep things alive for longer. How do these two functions relate to us? 
Well, I think they are about distinctiveness. We're not to be bland, but rather we're to stand out. And that's really what the Beatitudes are all about. It's about living differently, lives that have an impact. It's about transparent godliness, something that we actually find in very few other places. So let's just paint a picture of what this distinctiveness may look like. Well, it's about spiritual humility, first of all. That's what being poor in spirit or being meek is really all about. It's about not being spiritually proud and self-sufficient and instead knowing that we're nothing without the grace of God. Through it, we enter the kingdom and one day a new heaven and a new earth. We will inherit the earth at that point. Godliness is rooted in knowing we deserve nothing, but that God, in his mercy, has given us all things. Even simply taking that on board makes us quite different to others. It takes away the stress of striving to impress God, takes away the need to try and impress others, it takes away the anxiety about whether our eternal future is secure. Instead, it gives us peace, It gives us self-worth. It gives us that perspective of knowing we are deeply and wonderfully loved by our God. And it gives us the verdict. We're forgiven. We're loved. And we can have peace. There's nothing in this world we need to fear. So that's the beginning of that distinctiveness. It's having that peace and perspective and security and certainty. But it's not just peace with God. It's also peace with with others. And I was really struck in this time where politically we feel divided still from the, the Brexit referendum and it, then maybe even more so after last week's election. Many politicians like Nick Clegg warned about the danger of division, calling us rightly to come together as a nation. But Christians here are specifically commissioned and called to be peacemakers, which I would suggest means this to see the good in others. And to acknowledge there isn't only one right view. And godliness often only becomes visible, actually, when we disagree with someone rather than simply agree. It's easy to like those who agree with you, isn't it? But it's how we handle differences where true distinctiveness can be seen. Now, like most people in this room, I've got my views. But the goal that I set myself in my political conversations, and there have been many over the last few weeks is this, not whether I win the argument or even enter into an argument, but whether I acknowledge the merits of the views that are other than my own. I think that's the beginning of peacemaking. I think that's what we can model as Christians. And we can say we may not all agree with each other, certainly not on political things, maybe not on all spiritual things either, but we respect the the good intentions that each of us have and that we want to learn from each other We want to work together and we want to promote peace all over our community, wherever it isn't found. So that's part of the vision of distinctiveness in society. What else does godliness consist of? Well, it, it consists of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. What a strong word that is, hungering and thirsting. What is righteousness? It's not self righteousness, it's right living, being made right with God living rightly, and also actually making sure that rightness in the sense of justice is being done in our society too. Tackling oppression, promoting justice, 
And mourning here seems to be about mourning for our own sin as well. What's being painted here is a picture of seeking to live rightly, that our society would be righteous, and that we would live godly lives that point everyone who looks at us to the God who is doing this in us. Put it all together, and we have an encouragement to Christians to get involved in every sphere of society, to help make a difference, but not just through what we actually do, but in the way that we do it, with respect, gentleness, faith, positivity, kindness, wisdom, humility. And I find myself heartened on the general political uh, scene at the moment that we actually have a Christian Prime Minister, a Christian leader of the Liberal Democrats, a Christian Scottish Conservative leader, a joint leader who's a Christian of the Green Party. Several Labour prominent politicians also are Christians. God is calling Christians to this nation in our difficult times. And we need to pray for them and for all our leaders in what are hugely demanding and stressful roles, especially right now for the Prime Minister herself. And we need to recognise that maintaining godliness is something that we too need to continuously work on. It doesn't come quickly and we can so easily slip back. Many of us have ambitions, I'm sure, in our work, perhaps for some other aspects of our lives. But let me ask you this. How many of us have ambitions of godliness? And how many of us see that as something that we need to persistently prioritise? But is God ambitious for us and our character? Of course he is. Make no mistake. He wants us to share his heart. He wants us to reflect his image. We were made in the image of Christ so that when people see us, they see Christ himself. Now, the Apostle Paul recognised that. He said he, he hadn't attained it yet, but he pressed on towards the goal so that he might take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. Well, if he hadn't taken hold of it yet, you can be fairly sure that most of us haven't. But that's what we need to do, to press on, to live godly lives that are so distinctive from others around us so people see us and they are drawn to God. So that's saltiness. The next metaphor is a city on a hill. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, Jesus says. What does that mean? I think it means make your faith visible. Wear it on your sleeve. Don't hide your faith, even though that won't always be popular. It's why Jesus warns, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, and then develops that even further in the next verse, verse 11. So if the first metaphor of being salty, was about keeping on growing, living distinctively, growing in your godliness. Well, this one is about keeping on going, even when it's tough. And in terms of our impact on others, this is where the rubber really hits the road. Why? Because if it costs us, if we're actually wearing our faith on our sleeve, of making sure that people know we're Christian and that's central to our lives, well, if it costs us, and we do get mocked, or we do get people criticising us, we do get people treating us a little bit differently. But if it costs us, that's when people know we really believe it. It's easy to be a Christian and not get any flack, not get any negative comments. But if we're willing to speak up and to take that and graciously receive it, well then they know 
that it really matters. Then they know that we care enough about them that we're willing to share our faith. Many of those who watch our faith will know that if it's true, it should affect every aspect of our lives. If we care enough to put it out there, to make it central to how we're seen, then people know we are living it out. It is authentic. This is not just some optional hobby that that people are free to just disregard, or one that's just for certain people with a certain background or certain taste in choral music. Rather, it's something to which the whole of mankind owe a response. And in today's age of political correctness, this is not an easy calling. Just think about the, the, the flack that Tim Farron has got and some of the questions that he got over the election campaign, desperately trying to turn his faith against him. People will read into our faith assumptions about our attitudes or our prejudices that they don't respect or like. But what's absolutely key is not that we hide our Christianity away, deny that we follow Jesus, but rather that we model the love, the compassion, the gentleness, the forgiveness of Jesus and the holiness of living such different lives that people look at us and give thanks to God for us. To achieve our potential for Christ, we need to take the rough with the smooth. We need to take up our cross and follow him. When people insult us or mock us or criticise us, it's probably not a sign that we're doing something wrong. It's rather that we're doing something right. It's a classic defence mechanism of someone running away from God. Our job is not to make it easy for them but to take away their fear, to show them the positive difference God can make to someone's life and to model the peace and the self-confidence that that can bring. But we also need to recognise that this can only really happen when we build relationships with people outside the church. You know, I was struck as I was praying into the vision for St Paul's that we are on a hill, aren't we? This is a church on a hill. This metaphor is a city on a hill. Now, although the people driving past can see there's a church here, what they can't see is us. Few of them are going to come in voluntarily, apart from perhaps the vote or the hustings or the Christingle or the carol service. But what we need to do to make sure that we are a city on a hill is to get out there, to get to the places where other people are, to start doing the things, the hobbies, the, uh, you know, the events, start going to them and creating them where we get a chance to actually share who we are, to share the sorts of people we are, to share what's a struggle and what's a joy in our lives. Because if we do that, we're creating an opportunity for them to share themselves with us. And when that happens, when we're establishing common ground, when we're meeting up with people around the things that they're passionate about, that they're looking for, and not simply saying, come to church. That's where you'll find us. All are welcome. It needs to be so much more than all are welcome. It's us going out as a missional community, saying that we're going to seek to offer where, to scratch where you're itching. We're going to go onto your territory so you can really get to know us. That's what a city on a hill is. Yes, we come from the church on a hill. But we're a city on a hill because a city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's saying let's wear our faith on our sleeve. Let's put it out there. 
Let's take any opportunity that comes. And let's take on board this third metaphor, which we move on to now. That we are the light to the world. The world is dark. It's dark because there's evil people out there. It's dark because in the absence of light, you can't see beyond this life. You can't see what God is really like. You can't actually see what human beings have the potential to be. You can't actually see what happens after you die. You can't actually see how God regards you, that you are dearly loved, and that he pleads with you to become a child of God. And yet we as Christians can share that. We can share that through the love and the good seeds that we take out and display and offer people. And we can show that in the sense that whenever the conversation allows it to, we share our story, we share the good news of Jesus, we share our perspective on what belief in God and turning to God in prayer could bring to the situation the person we're speaking to is in. And we can share openly that there is hope. There may be so many things wrong with this world, but there is hope. And we might be worried about the state of the country, but there is hope because we can pray. And actually, even into the most difficult situations, sometimes the greatest opportunities to share our faith can come. So, people of God, what is your potential? It's to be salt and light, a city on a hill that people cannot help but be struck by, that people cannot help be drawn towards. And when they are, they see in us a love, a gentleness, an acceptance, an affirmation, an interest in their lives, a loyalty, a compassion, a humour, a humility, and a community that they cannot help but want to be part of. That's what we can do. Make the connections outside. Put on things here that people outside want to come to. And recognise that whenever we're in relationship with people talking about Jesus, that is church. doesn't need to be a Sunday service doesn't need to be in the church building. It can be in our life groups, but it can also be in any Christian conversation you are having with someone who doesn't know him. That's church. Because Jesus is at work. People out there are not that interested in church. But they're certainly interested in spirituality. There are less atheists today than there were a decade ago. People's spiritual hunger is real. They're just not looking to the church to provide it. But if we take it to them, using their language and not our own, then we will bear fruit. That is our calling as a church. Thank you. So, thank you. Shall we look at our vision again? I just want to unpack it slightly for us in the light of all that we've thought about here today. So here it is. We are, on December 31st, 2020, going to be a vibrant Growing church, going deeper into God, seeing lives and our community transformed. Vibrant because there's a love here. There's a buzz. There's an excitement. We're fired up through the Spirit. We're growing, not just in the honeymoon period when the vicar's new, 
probably through that already, but we're growing year on year because that's the trajectory we're on. And we're doing the things and we're praying the things that lead to growth. So we're growing. We're growing younger too because we're recognizing that we need to bring the next generation through. So we're prioritizing them so that as well as a church of today, we will have just a stronger church of tomorrow. And we're going deeper, not just seeing people converted, but actually growing people in their faith, not just in their first year as a Christian, but for every year of their lives. And we're recognizing that actually we all grow in different ways. Some through listening to preaching, some through sung worship, some through their life groups, some through prophetic words, some from training courses, some from prayer events, some from leadership courses, some through serving and seeing God at work, and most of us through all of those things. And doing those things not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. That's how we grow, and that's how we grow each year. The question I need to ask you is, are you up for continuous growth? As individuals and as a church. As a church, we won't grow anywhere near as quickly if each of you aren't growing in your own lives, in your own faith. Because if you're growing, we start to have an effect on others. People can see it in our eyes. They can see it in our passion. They can see it in our excitement. They can see it in the way that we suddenly discern the opportunities around us and take them. So it starts with us. Lord, send revival and start with me. Famous song of a decade, two ago, had those words. Those words are still resonant today. Start with me. Start with you. And then see what happens. So, we're going to do all of this. We're going to see our community and and our own lives and the lives of others who come to faith and grow in faith We're going to see us all transformed. And we're doing this through depending on prayer and the Holy Spirit. That's key. If we do it on our own strength, we'll get knackered and it won't work. We're remembering to share God's love and his saving grace. They need to know the gospel. But they need to know the love that Jesus gave in the gospel and as he shared the gospel. And so we're going to plant new ministries in congregations that reach many more for Jesus. What does that mean? It means we look, where are we not connecting with people at the moment? Which age groups are we not connecting with? Are there any times of day which might work better for other groups of people in in our society? Are there places where we could plant a church where otherwise there won't be anyone ministering there? These are the sorts of questions that we'll be asking. We're quite happy with the services we've got now. But is there anything else God is calling us to that could connect with new groups of people? could do new things because new things bring fresh energy they bring excitement they unlock resources and i just should say sometimes we have to close things to make room for that so we'll see what happens new services new congregations i'm excited about what we could do with seniors i'm excited about what we could do with young adults i'm excited about what we could do with families i'm excited about what we could do with all sorts of things with our passions our hobbies our pastimes god can use all of these things to connect with others. And we can develop our people into people who are missionally minded in everything that we do. And we can develop our buildings to make sure they create the physical environment that supports our mission, that people feel welcome to come into, where we have the space to socialize and enjoy each other's company 
not just in this room, but across the whole of the centre. And where we genuinely are offering help and hope to all. So, we're going to sing a song now as the band come up, which reflects that desire that we would see things as God sees them, that our hearts would be broken for the things that break his heart, and that we would see his glory, and that we, through being the light of the world, can actually bring him glory too. So we're going to stand and sing a song, and then after that I'm going to tell us what we're going to do next. So let's stand.